0: give you glory and honor today. There is none like you, Jesus. What a privilege to be in the presence of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Then I will go to the 12th chapter of Genesis. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Let's jump down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he so journeyed in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Genesis chapter 12, begin verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot Went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. For a few moments today, I want to speak to you from the subject, Faith in Conflict with Fear. The Lord bless you. The Word of the Lord has some incredible examples in it that are still very relevant to the day and hour that you and I live in. We should be learning from history instead of repeating it. We should learn the lessons that life teaches us and live by them, but unfortunately, we don't always do that. The example of Abraham is considered to be one of the greatest examples in the Word of God. This example tells us how a nation began. Abraham was called by God to leave his country. When he was called, he was given promises that would happen if he would simply follow and obey the Word of God. He began the journey. Hebrews says he didn't know where he was going and he was not even comfortable. He was always a stranger in the land that he was in, even though God said, wherever your feet touch, I will give this to you. He makes it from his home to a place somewhere in Israel that is called Bethel. But actually, he never made it to Bethel. He made it to a mountain that is to the east of Bethel that gave him the ability to see Bethel but not experience Bethel. The word Bethel literally translates the house of God. So he built an altar, and pitched his tent in a place between Bethel and a city that here is called Hai and other places Ai. The term Ai literally translates the heap of ruins. Abraham built his altar with the house of God, on one side and disaster on the other, feeling it was comfortable to live there. And then he began to enjoy the land that he had been promised, but then chaos happened. A famine shows up, and when the famine came, it forced Abraham to make decisions that he would later regret because those decisions would actually cause disaster in his family for over 400 years in the future. He made a decision that it would be safer maybe to travel on to Egypt than to remain here, even though God had made him a promise, I'll bless you, I'll bless them that bless thee, I'll curse them that curse thee. Through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. His faith was challenged by fear, and he gave in to the fear. Instead of remaining to see if God would deliver him, he makes a conscious choice to start a journey, and the Scripture describes it as he continued on towards the south. It appears from the Word of God that that was his intended journey to start with. He stops at Ai, or between Ai and Bethel, and builds an altar and makes a commitment. He offered a sacrifice there. He connected to God there. But then he kept his journey going. And as he continues his journey and the famine comes, he knew that in Egypt there was plenty because there's a river that's 2,000 plus miles long that always has water. And he knew that, that if he went there, he could always return. And so he makes a decision. We never make decisions that wreck our lives without thinking about the consequences. Abraham had to think about the consequences that his decisions were gonna cause him, and he was willing to live with the consequences. He made a decision that would affect his family, it would affect his brother's family, because he has with him his brother's son, and then it would affect generations to come. It's obvious he knew the problem, because to go there, he has to say to his wife, we're going to act like you're my sister, not my wife, because Egypt has this thing, the king of Egypt takes the wives that are beautiful of other men and kills the men. So here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to Egypt knowing that this is a possibility, but we've gotta go there because the famine's too bad. But actually, if it just made a left-hand turn and traveled less than 20 miles, he would have came to the Jordan Valley. That when they returned from Egypt and they look at it and and Abraham and Lot have their issues and he says to Lot, You make your choice, whichever direction you want to go, uh, I'll go the opposite. And Lot looked at the well watered plains of Jordan. Now how do you go from a famine to well watered plains, other than the fact that the Jordan River didn't experience the drought because it's fed from further north? And instead of, of, of waiting to see what God would do, he makes a decision. We in America are at that point in our life. The church is standing at this point in our relationship with God. There's all kinds of chaos around us. There's all kinds of issues around us. The the, the disease that's that's before us is really just a minor issue to compare to all the others that's there. And fear is beginning to grip our heart. Now, Egypt had the answers. Actually, if you study history, you'll discover that Egypt was the center of art. It was the center of learning. It was the center of science. It was the center of medicine. It was the center of mathematics and chemistry. They had already developed the rules and laws of calculus, and they were a nation of education. So who wouldn't have thought that wouldn't have been a good place to go. The problem was, Abraham forgot where his journey was. Hebrews says he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And he got his eyes off of the city he was going to and started letting his eyes be affected by the world he was part of. So he lets his vision be affected by what he sees. Faith, by definition, is the conviction of truth. The Greek word for faith is pestis, and it literally translates a conviction of the truth of something. Now, a old man wrote a song, and he said it like this, I once was young... But now I'm old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I remain in this world, it's for the purpose of Christ. It's to proclaim the gospel But if death shows up, I just get an early exit into the world that I'm really looking for. Because I'm not looking for this world, I'm looking for another world. Abraham made a decision to go to Egypt that caused him to question things about his own life. Conditions for going were extreme. There was a grievous famine in the land. You have to prepare excuses for bad decisions. It's always somebody else's fault. I didn't mean to do that or I didn't intend to do that. It, that is not true. Every decision I make in life is a decision that I wrestle with and I make before that decision ever happens. The problem was Abraham didn't get close enough to God to let God affect his decision-making responsibility. See, he built his first altar where he could see the house of God, but not be affected by the house of God. He could see the heap of ruins. He could understand what would happen in his life if he started varying from that, that if he went too far this way, he'd wind up in ruins. If he went too far this way, he's going to get closer to God. The problem is, folk, every one of us today are as close to God as we want to be. I am no closer to God not because there's a devil that keeps me from it or some other thing that's keeping me from his presence. The only reason I don't get closer to God is I don't want to be. Why? Because the closer to God you get, the more of you you see. And the more of you you see, the more uncomfortable that begins. And so you stop thinking about God, and you start focusing on me and my desires and my needs and my wants and and my ambitions and my goals, then everything becomes about me instead of letting God direct me. Our world is becoming increasingly narcissistic on a daily basis. And when we start letting our world affect our decisions and the things that we, we choose to do, It will only allow us to become more narcissistic. People who want to escape because they think there's bondage in a particular way, so they're going to be more liberated because uh, they're going to give up some things. They never get closer to God. They just get closer to disaster. I've never seen anyone give up holiness and not get closer to disaster because it's holiness that keeps me from becoming an evil person it's my relationship with God and the closer my altar is to his presence the more of me I get rid of and when I get rid of me I don't let me affect everybody that's around me I've been lied to all my life I've been told that you mellow with age. And that is a lie. You don't get kinder the older you get. You don't have more faith the older you get. You don't develop more patience. You get a sharp fuse. You can say things you regret. You lose your filter. And so you speak things that that you wish you had. But because your world accepts it and tolerates it, now it's okay for us to do those things. So now, according to our world, it's okay to hurt people. It's okay to say things to people that offend them or wound them. It's, it's perfectly okay because I've got rights, and we're so concerned about rights that we forget about relationship. When you develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is a servant relationship you serve Jesus Christ. You don't become a child of God to see what you get out of it. It's, you're not living for God because you get something in return. You live for God because it's the greatest relationship you could ever have. There's nobody who will ever treat you like God does. No one has ever heard God say, I told you so. No one's ever heard God say, if you'd listen to me, this wouldn't have happened. No one's ever heard God say, I knew you'd do that. I knew you were worthless. I knew you was a mistake. I knew you would be a failure. I knew you'd never succeed in life. No one has ever heard God say that. God says when you fall, get up some. Though a righteous men fall, he shall arise. That's not a possibility. That's an absolute. If I fall, I can get up. Though he falls seven times, he can still get up. Why? Because my father, when I get close enough to him, is not trying to make me something I can't be. He just wanted me to act more and more like him. And when I start acting more and more like him, I'm kind to the people around me. When I get closer to that heap of ruins, I become selfish, self-centered. I don't care what I say or, or, or what I do. It doesn't matter who I hurt or how I hurt them. Why? Because I'm more important than anybody else. Over the last 20 years, I've heard a question on a regular basis. The question I've heard repeatedly is, is this a heaven or hell issue? I've heard that question thousands of times. Is this a heaven or hell issue? Got real irritating after a period of time until one day I realized what the question was. It's a lie, first of all. It's not even the right question. The real question is, what's the least I have to do to get by? It's not, is this going to keep me out of heaven? It's draw me a line so I don't cross it. And, and I read in, in my Bible that living for God is a marriage. It's like a marriage. He, he's the, 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 the groom and we're going to be the bride. And, and I can tell you that I, I've lasted 48 years in marriage, but it would have never lasted 48 years if I ever said to Leanne, Honey, what's the least amount of my time you need? Honey, what's the least amount of affection that you need? Tell me how many times I need to hug you every day so I can get the number in so I don't, I don't cause this problems. The kingdom of God is like a treasure in the field. When you find the treasure, you sell all that you have and you buy the treasure? No, you buy a field that has snakes, rats, scorpions, skunks, It has stuff in it you don't want, but there's a treasure in it, and you sell all that you have. We're letting our world affect our decision-making process. I didn't ever think I would hear Pentecostals arguing about whether abortion is right or wrong. I never thought in my life I'd ever hear that question. But it's here. And it's a reality. And it's real. How did we get to that place? Our altar got moved. It wasn't close to the house of God. It's getting closer to the decisions the world is making. And the way the world acts and responds. And so I start letting the world. See, the world wants to suck you into politics. And the reason, matter of fact, I'm going to say something that I probably shouldn't say. Politics today is the new mob of the of the early 1900s. It's organized crime at the ultimate level. They want to suck us in and and get us arguing about things that don't matter. I was taught a golden rule as a kid and discovered that it's actually something Jesus said. What is it? Do unto others as you'd have others See, if we simply live close enough to God, we wouldn't be abusing nobody, we wouldn't be hurting nobody, we wouldn't be causing chaos, we wouldn't let our our faith get in conflict with fear, and and that fear start causing us to to make decisions that that's going to wreck not just my life, but it's going to wreck my kid's life. You see, Lot compared the well-watered plains of, of Jordan, to the land of Zoar as you go into Egypt and in the garden of God. And we know what the well watered plains of Jordan housed, a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the, the, the sick sin that was there. And, and but that's what got his attention. Why? It looked like the place Abraham took him. So my decisions don't just affect me. My choices of how close I live to God will affect my kids. Then it will affect my grandkids. It's going to affect the people in my life. And if, I, if I'm if i not careful about controlling me and what my desires are and, and keeping my human nature under control, then I start shifting closer to disaster. Only when Abraham came back from Egypt did he go to Bethel and build an altar. And when he got back from the chaos that happened there, and he ran back to the place he knew he should have been, then he built an altar and he changed the name of the place. It was no longer Bethel, it's El Bethel. It's not just a house of God, it's about the God of the house of God. And church, this church should be about the god of the house of god it's not about this building it's not about what we do it's about the god that shows up here on a regular basis and people's lives that can be transformed by an interaction with the power of god when they discover what god can do it's been a proven fact through the years that god hasn't needed us my family got in the church not because they got witness to. No one taught them a Bible study. I had an uncle. His name was Ernest Hope. He was my grandfather's, my grandmother's brother. He was in the Navy during World War II. While well, on a battleship in the middle of battles, he started reading the Word of God, and he read the book of Acts. And the more he read it, the more he realized, that's what I need. When he got off of that ship in San Diego at the end of the war, before he was discharged, he started attending churches that were around and and trying to find somebody that taught and believed in the book of Acts. Someone that taught that you could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that you could be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because it is the only name. Father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. They're simply titled. The name you must be buried in to get your sins removed is the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I hear people today that that have got hung up on grace. Grace is the womb that you're spiritually born through. Once delivered from the womb, it's not the lifestyle you live. The Bible doesn't say that the just shall live by grace. The Bible says the just shall live by faith once delivered out of that womb and you're born spiritually the lifestyle you have to step into is the lifestyle of conviction of what truth is it's pesticide it is a conviction of the truth of something what is that conviction we live by that jesus christ is god manifest in flesh he is the savior of the world and there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must Be saved. That's what brought us to this point. That's what my uncle saw. He went to churches all over California. Couldn't find one. Got on a train. Came back to Wichita Falls, Texas in the late 40s. Got off the train. His family met him there. They had a big family reunion. He started preaching to them. I've been reading the book of Acts. and, and, And this is what church is about we 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 got to we got we, we to find a church that that teaches the book of acts and my younger brother older brother was a, in high school at the time and he said i know where that church is my uncle said where well i go to school with the daughter of the pastor of a church that preaches the book of Acts, because i know she's preached it to me so i want to go see it so he went received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, in a short period of time, about 37 members of my mom's family received the Holy Ghost and were baptized in the name of Jesus, not because someone preached to them, but because God started stirring a heart. When you get hungry and honest with God, God's going to lead and guide you in the truth. You will find Him on your journey. As you start look, looking, He will take you through His Word. Why? Because we live our life based on faith, not grace. Grace is simply the womb I'm born through. But once I'm delivered and I'm a spiritual being at that point, I'm no longer living by grace. I start a lifestyle of faith. And James said, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. You know, it's interesting. That's the first book written to the New Testament church somewhere around 40 A.D. So the first order of business the New Testament church had to understand is you you, you got to get past this thing that, that, that grace covers everything. Once you're a child of God, it's the blood that covers everything. It's not grace that covers everything. It's baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And then once you become a child of God and you fail and you may have a shortcoming or sin, Paul or John said, My little children, sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is a propitiation for my sin, but not only my sin, but the sin of the whole world. I have a blood covering. That blood covering is repentance. I get to come to an altar. You see, if you get close enough to the house of God, you discover an altar is important because you can come back to that altar on a regular basis and repent of things that you do. And a a human being cannot live their life without an altar because you're going to do something stupid every day. It's in your nature. All you need to do something stupid is an opportunity. It's in us. We got to go back to an altar. See, I'm convinced you don't need a devil to go to hell. I'm convinced you need a family to go to hell. was not wreck your life. What we do with each other wrecks lives. It's what I say to someone else. I hate you. I wish you weren't born. You're stupid. You're dumb. See, these are the words that wrecks lives. Not, not what an enemy tries to tell me. It's what the people that are important in my life say to me that wrecks lives. And if I don't keep that controlled, it is in me. It is in every one of us to become evil. And we're at a time, right now, as a result of of what we've experienced over the last three months, you know what the number one rise in police reports are in America right now? Domestic violence. There are more police called for domestic violence in America right now than they have been last year. Why? Because people got confined and then all their issues showed up. And they start fighting. and All these issues start happening. See, when I get close to the house of God, and I start building an altar closer to God, and the closer I get, the more of me I see, and I have to get rid of some stuff. And, and so I had to get closer. And the closer I get, the more of me I see. And it's not comfortable to be exposed. My nature don't like being revealed. But my nature has to be controlled. So I had to fight this nature I live in on a daily basis. It's not something I do Wednesday night, Sunday morning. It's something I have to do every morning when I get up. i got to look at that guy in the mirror and i got to say, I know you. You are not a good person. You are sorry. You are worthless. If I let you go, you'll destroy everybody in this house. You'll call them names. You'll say things to them. You'll hurt them. But I will control you. You will not control me. I'm going to battle you all day long. My war is with you. It's not with something outside. It's with you. And I'm going to fight you every morning of my life. You will not control me. Before I go to bed, I'm going to address him again. And if by chance he won, tomorrow he don't get breakfast. He don't get lunch. He don't get supper. If that don't give his attention, next day he don't get breakfast. See, I'm not letting this flesh, my kids, my grandkids, or the people around me. I'm not going to let my anger and my... You see, when when fear shows up, it's got a Siamese twin. If you get fear in the picture, anger's right behind it. And when anger shows up, everybody in this room, or everybody at home listening to me today, is going to turn or return to a six-year-old child because anger is cast in concrete by six years of age. It's the first emotion you develop. You're born screaming at everybody in that room. You don't come in this room a nice person. You come in this room mad. And when you, you, you learn to use it on a regular basis and it's cast in concrete by six. So if anger shows up, I don't act like an adult. I scream, holler, throw things, break things, run through the house, tear things up. I destroy life because that's my choice. See, my choices of where I build my altar defines the rest of my life. Abraham had to move it. He had to move it from from east of Bethel to Bethel. And when he got it at the house of God, he discovered there was more than the house of God. There's a God of the house of God. When I get close enough to him... I discover that my father has never abandoned his children. They've never called the authorities on him. He's never been locked up for child abuse. He's never harassed, injured, or hurt anybody. He doesn't belittle his children. He don't make them feel worthless. He treats them with incredible dignity and respect. Why? Because he loves us more than we will ever be able to comprehend. Sin is more than a violation of the law. Sin is the breaking the heart of love. God is love. When I sin, I break the heart of love because that's his nature. So if I want my life to change, I've got to be careful about what conflict happens and how I allow fear or anger to start changing what I do in my relationship with God. I once was young, I can say this, now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seat out begging for bread. I have been traveling full time since 1985 and I can tell you that in those 35 plus years of preaching the gospel all over the world, he has never one time abandoned me. Never. Why? Because he promised. Here's what will happen, Abraham. You follow me. I'll bless them that bless thee. I'll curse them that curse thee. Through thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That promise is to all of us because we're spiritually Abraham's children. Worst of the promise, we get to enjoy that, and He's going to make sure that I'm safe. He's going to make sure that my life's not in chaos. The closer I get to the heap of ruins, the more chaos going to show up. The closer I get to God, the less of the chaos shows up. And it may be dark outside, it may be raining, but I can have a song in my heart. I can have joy in my life. You see, what's interesting about the word grace? that its root word is joy. Chara is the word for joy. Charis is the word for grace. So grace is all about the joy of God, the joy of the Lord. When I become a child of God, it's a joyful thing to be able to be in his presence, to be part of his family, because he loves us so unconditionally. There is none like him today. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. Thank you today that your word always gives us the direction for life.